Hey everyone, welcome to On The Market. I'm your host, Dave Meyer, joined today by James Daynard. James, are you ready to talk about rent trends? We haven't talked about this in a while. No, we've, we've heard about everything else, the doom and gloom, and now we're starting to hear more of that. Where's the runway on this multifamily going forward? Yeah, it's a really important topic because at least what I was seeing for a long time is that investors were jumping into the market with the assumption that rents were going to go up. And, you know, even if things didn't pencil in year one, they might pencil sometime in the future. And today we're going to examine if those are safe assumptions to be making in today's day and age. So we are bringing on an expert. We have Chris Salviati from Apartmentless. He's their senior economist, and he's going to teach us a little bit about rent. He'll first start with historic trends and context. So we all are on the same page about what happened with rent during the pandemic. Then we're going to shift gears and talk a little bit about what's happening with rents today and how different sectors of real estate are performing differently. So, you know, residential might be different than multifamily. One market might be different than another. And lastly, Chris is actually going to give us a prediction on where rent is going to go throughout 2024. And one thing I'm super excited to talk to Chris about is the saturation of the multifamily market because we're seeing a huge boom in multifamily supply and that is going to cascade throughout the industry. So this is a great episode if you're in multifamily, if you're residential, if you're trying to buy a property, because this type of data, this type of information really helps fuel your underwriting. Like if you're going out there to analyze a deal, this is the kind of information you should be paying attention to and building into your performance and your assumptions. So with no further ado, let's bring on Chris from Apartment List to talk about rents. Chris, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. Hey, Dave. Thanks for having me on. So, Chris, before we get into some of the more recent data that you and your team are working on, can you give us some historical context about what has been going on with rent growth over the last few years? Yeah, definitely. You know, I, I think it's important when we talk about what's been happening with rent growth recently to really place it in that historical context. And really, I, I would go back even pre-pandemic just to, to to kind of set up the lay of the land of how rents had been growing and then how obviously this crazy disruption that we've had in recent year, years has impacted that. So our rent estimates go back to the start of 2017. When we look at that pre-pandemic year period, 2017 to 2019, we were seeing or pretty, you know, pretty modest rent growth sort of just in line with with what inflation had been at that time, two to three percent per year. We were seeing the average rent growth from 2017 to 2020 was it was about two and a half percent. Then fast forward to the pandemic, we see obviously all sorts of wild disruption. That first year of the pandemic, uh, we really saw a pretty big divergence in rent trends happening in different markets. A lot of the uh, expensive coastal markets uh, saw folks kind of fleeing as they had new remote work flexibility. Rents really plummeted in places like San Francisco, New York, D.C., Boston. And then a lot of the the, the more affordable and mid-sized markets were actually seeing prices increase in that period. But that all added up to our national rent index seeing a very slight decline in 2020. Then 2021 is when things really kind of went 
through the roof. Basically everywhere, our national rent index was up by 18% in 2021, which is really, you know, wild kind of shattering the records of, of, of previous rent growth there for a single year. Uh, that kind of really hot market persisted into 2022 in the first half. And then the back half of 2022 is when things really started to cool down. Uh, and that's persisted through present day. And so rents now about four to five percent lower than the mid 2022 peak still about 18 percent higher than they were at the onset of the pandemic and so if you add that all up uh, that 2020 to 2023 period we saw average annual rent growth coming around four and a half percent when you put together that one really crazy year of rent growth and a couple years of, of, of cooler rent growth. Yeah, I remember when the pandemic hit, it was like, as landlords, we were all freaking out for a minute. We're like, are we going to not be collecting rent? What's going to happen? And it was like doomsday for a 45 day period. And then as it heated up, I, it was the most unreal thing I've ever. Well, there was two things going on. There was home appreciation that was rapidly shooting up and then rents were climbing just as fast and it turned into this like consumption of your units and whether and we're in, a, in an expensive coastal town seattle but we still saw a ton of rent growth because people just wanted to live where they wanted to live during that time and i i just remember sitting there watching this and going okay what's going to happen is there a massive crash coming and then what we saw was kind of that five percent pullback just like the appreciation when it hockey sticked up real quick rates spiked and then it kind of deflated and now it's kind of leveled out and that's definitely what we're seeing right now in our rents not a lot of drop it's just kind of consistently being absorbed right now yeah and, and i think that's reflected in our rent data too you know we, we're, we're seeing uh like i said we're, we're seeing a little bit of a dip over the past year but it's not it, it, it's not reversing that really massive rent growth that we saw in 2021 it's really just the market kind of stabilizing and cooling off after the after this really hot period chris during the pandemic you know you talked a little bit about migration and how that jacked up rents and pushed demand in certain markets but one thing that is a little unclear is if people were leaving mar some markets to move to the Southeast, like so many people did or wherever they moved to, wouldn't there be less demand in the markets that they left? And there would theoretically then be downward pressure on prices in those places people were leaving. But we saw pretty much ubiquitous rent growth, even from places like California, where you saw a decrease in population. So how do you square those two data sets? Yeah, you know, I, I, I think there's a couple of things going on under the hood here. So like I said, in that first year of the pandemic, we sort of did see the dynamic that you're describing, where we saw a lot of that migration happening from expensive markets to more affordable markets. And in that first year of the pandemic, we saw actually sizable rent declines in a number of those markets. Uh, the Bay Area led the way there, prices down about 25% by our estimates. Uh, in 2020 and you know a lot of those markets then did rebound and so i think what we saw was in that first year of the pandemic maybe that dynamic that you're talking about where there actually was kind of a a big migration shift that led to prices kind of diverging where the expensive markets were getting a little bit more affordable and then the more affordable markets were seeing prices increase 2021 is when we saw things really uh, kind of pick up basically across the board. And I think uh, what, what's happening there is really, you know, in addition to this kind of migration channel, we were just seeing really strong 
household formation basically everywhere. So more folks striking out on their own to form new households. I mean, I, I think intuitively that makes sense, right? You know, in that first year of the pandemic, you had a lot of people hunkering down, sheltering in place, not knowing what was going to happen and just being really cautious. And then after about a year of that, we realized, okay, the, the, this isn't going away anytime soon. This is sort of the new normal. And folks that were, uh, that had been, you know, uh, particularly maybe a lot of younger folks that had maybe moved back with their parents to save on rent in those first few months of the pandemic. After six months of that, uh, I think a lot of those folks were deciding that they needed their own space. And, you know, that that's kind of one example. You can take a similar dynamic with folks that had been living with roommates. Maybe that was uh, a great setup when four people living together were all going to work every day. But after a year of everybody working from home, a lot of folks deciding that, that they needed their own space. And so I think, you know, that drove this real surge in household formation and that was happening pretty much across the board. So you had kind of two things going on where there was both these migration channels that, that were kind of shifting demand from certain markets to other markets, but you were also seeing demand kind of rising across the board, at, at least in that 2021, early 2022 period. You know, I think there was that that hermit factor where everyone was kind of stuck inside and they're like, I got to get out, I got to get out. But there was also just a massive amount of disposable income increase. People were making a lot of money in the stock market. I mean, Bitcoin, housing, it, it, it felt like the faucet got turned on in the U.S. and people just go, okay, well, I'm making tons of money. I'm going to go live where I want. I want this freedom. And then as rates have increased pretty dramatically, we've seen the trends shift. Like people are being a lot more cautious on what they want to spend money on and go, well, do I really need this property or can I live here and be happy right now? And, you know, because I know disposable income it was up around 25 to 30% in 2021. And then in 2022, it was decreasing as rates go up. And what we've seen in a lot of our portfolio is just people are being a lot more selective when it comes to spending that more luxurious rent. They're being very cautious. The more affordable rents are still getting consumed pretty quickly right now. Like if you're on the bottom end of the rent market, the median price, it is getting absorbed very quickly. But as you get towards that premium price, it, it is kind of stalling out. Okay, so now that we've gotten through the historic stuff and what was going on during the pandemic, we're going to move on to what is happening today right after the break. Remember when you had to pay to get a Leeds phone number? It was like the dark ages until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right. Get high quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do not call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com slash BP. Buy low, sell high. 
Very easy to say, but not always so easy to do. For example, high interest rates are hurting the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping and prices in a lot of markets are falling, even for many of the best assets. So it's no wonder the Fundrise flagship fund plans to go on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio in just minutes and with as little as $10 by visiting Fundrise.com pockets. Fundrise.com slash pockets. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at fundrise.com slash flagship. This is a paid advertisement. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome back to On The Market. What are you seeing in today's trends as far as like the luxury versus the more affordable and, and, and kind of the consumption rate of what's going on in the rental market across the U.S.? First thing I'll say is just a little bit of a, not to get too in the weeds and wonky here, but just a little bit of disclaimer about the apartmentless rent estimates and, and how our methodology works. Um, so our we're looking at rent changes across new leases, uh, and we do basically a, a same unit methodology where we're looking at for a given unit, what price is it renting for today and how much did it rent for the last time that it uh, that it was available? And then we kind of aggregate those up. Uh, but the thing that I think is important that, that relates to your question is the sample of properties that we're looking at, uh, the, the the properties that show up on apartmentless platform. We, we do see more of, of the kind of large uh, professionally managed multifamily properties that tend to hit at the prior higher price tiers. And so to the extent that price trends are maybe diverging a little bit in that high price tier versus the lower price tier, I think that probably our data is a little bit more reflective of, of that high tier. And as I said, what we are seeing is that things are definitely cooling down there and have been over, uh, over the past year and a half. And I, I think it's for a lot of the reasons that that you just laid out, right? I, I, I mean, we just talked about this crazy rent growth that we saw in 2021 in the first half of 2022. And so now if you're looking for uh, a new place to rent, uh, you're going to be looking at prices that are a lot higher than they were a couple of years ago. We've also had a period of heightened inflation where folks' budgets are being eroded for non-housing goods as well. So I think a lot of folks are finding that their dollars aren't going as far and also having uh, a lot of caution about the economy. You know, I, I think through this period of inflation and rates increasing, a lot of folks have been fearing that there might be a recession around the corner. We are seeing, you know, some of those consumer sentiment numbers starting to rebound a little bit. But I think we've been seeing, you know, that, that we've been in this period where uh, a lot of folks have just been behaving a lot more cautiously over this past year than they had been maybe two, three years ago. And Chris, how does that trend translate to vacancy rates and sort of the overall national median at rent? Yeah, so vacancy rates we are seeing climb. Uh, our national vacancy index right now is sitting at six point five percent. 
for comparison, that's just slightly ahead of where we were in the pre-pandemic average, 2019 average of 6.2%. Uh, there was a bit of a peak in, in the early phase of the pandemic where it hit 6.8%. Uh, so we're still a little bit below that. Uh, but it has been it has been easing for quite a while now, you know, during that period uh, of, of really rapid rent growth in 2021, where the market was really tightening up. A lot of stuff was moving really quickly. And, uh, there was a period there where our vacancy index got as low as 4%. And so it has been consistently easing for a while now. Uh, that varies by market. There are markets where it's a bit higher. You know, we are seeing right now that there's actually, uh, a, a historic amount of, multifamily units in the construction pipeline. A lot of that is expected to hit the market this year. And so as a lot of that new inventory comes online, I think where uh, we, we think that there's potential for vacancy rates to, to ease even a little bit further. And, and and yeah, as far as the rent growth numbers, just to bring that uh, back to present day, our national index right now is showing Prices down about one percent year over year nationally. Again, that, that that varies a bit market to market. I just want everyone to make sure they understood what Chris just said. We talked in the beginning of the show a little bit about demand and how it shot up during the pandemic, and that's sort of been leveling off. But there's also this other variable at play here, which is a very big increase in supply. And if you know about supply and demand, just as a refresher, if you're getting slowing demand and increasing supply, that is what leads to downward pressure on prices. So Chris, can you just tell us a little bit more about the multi, sort of this glut of multifamily uh, construction that's been going on and all these new units that are poised to continue hitting the market throughout 2024? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So right now there are almost a million multifamily units in the construction pipeline, uh, and that is the highest number uh, in in decades. Part of this is backlog of some projects that were delayed in the early phases of the pandemic. So there were disruptions to construction. You know, some of this has just kind of built up, but then we've also seen you know really fast. Uh, permitting activity over the past couple of years as well. And so right now there's, you know, huge number of units in the pipeline uh, that does, uh, like I said, vary a lot market to market. A lot of this is coming in Sunbelt markets. Uh, Austin in particular is one market that really has been uh, permitting and building a, a ton of new housing. That That's the market that on a per capita basis, at least, has, has been leading the way here for a number of years now, uh, but a lot of those markets throughout, you know, Texas, Florida, really, really most of those Sunbelt markets have been building quite a bit. And, and a lot of that inventory is slated to come online this year. You know, 2024, we're expecting to see the most new multifamily units uh, be completed uh, again in decades since the 80s. I should say also that putting that in the supply and demand framework, we're expecting that all of this new supply is, is really going to temper rent growth. Uh, uh, again, having much more of an impact in some markets than others. The other thing that I'll say, though, is that, you know, this period of having a lot of this new supply coming online, this isn't going to be uh, an indefinite phenomenon. You know, we're already seeing that 
as rates have increased, that new permitting activity is really slowing down. And so, you know, a lot of the projects that are under construction right now are still projects that that maybe broke ground in a lower interest rate environment. And so now, you know, if you're just thinking about this from the developer's standpoint uh, with, you know, with rates so much higher now, uh, it's a it's a it's a lot more difficult to make these projects pencil out. And so we are expecting to see a ton of new inventory come online this year, probably into next year. But as we get into, you know, solidly into 2025 and into 2026, I think that that, that is going to settle back down. Yeah. And a lot of these markets we saw prior or during the pandemic is there's that, that gold rush approach for developers and apartment buyers. And they were really getting after the permits to bring in bit more units in, especially these metro markets in the Sunbelt. Like regionally, do you see certain areas having a lot more issues than others across the, the U.S.? Because I know like in, in the Pacific Northwest or in L.A. Or, where I, or even in Phoenix, where I know a lot of people that were developing apartments, there is so many units in the queue and not only that, they're way behind schedule because the permitting timelines took so yeah. much longer than they thought. Like a lot of these permit timelines doubled what they were thinking. They thought it was going to be about a year and a half, and it took three years. And now their their money's adjusted, the cost adjusted, uh, you know, build costs went up by 10, 15 percent during that time. And the numbers and the math look a lot differently. But it seemed like everyone was gold rushing to the Austins, the, the Scottsdales, the, the Seattle, the San Francisco's where like regionally are you seeing the most amount of inventory coming in? Yeah. You know, like I said, Austin is, is really been kind of going crazy there. That, that, that's the market that is seeing uh, by far the most new per capita housing construction. And just to kind of come back to the, 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 this sort of impact of all this new inventory on prices, we're seeing, you know, pretty clearly that that is starting to have an impact. Our, Rent index for uh, the Austin Metro is down about six percent year over year right now, and, and that that's the biggest rent decline that we're seeing nationally. And so, you know, that's a market where at least kind of in the short run right now, it's looking like there might be a little bit of actually an oversupply, at least when we're talking about the, 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 this kind of multifamily segment. But again, I, I think it's a lot of those markets throughout the throughout the Sun Belt. So. Really, all of the markets in, in Texas, Florida, Vegas continues to build a lot. Nashville is another one that's building a lot to um, Charlotte and Raleigh. So a, lo a lot of these these markets, what were maybe a few years ago, I would have said more affordable Sunbelt markets. A lot of these markets have seen really crazy rent growth in recent years. So maybe, you know, affordable isn't necessarily the right word right now. Uh, a lot of the more, you know, uh, kind of traditionally pricey coastal markets that you mentioned, your Seattle, San Francisco, LA's we've seen in some of these markets. Seattle is actually one that that has seen definitely like a notable uh, uptick in in new construction. You know, not at the level of a place like Austin, but definitely um, you know seeing a, a, a little bit of a boom there. Places like you know San Francisco, LA, still really building pretty slowly. It's maybe started to tick up a little bit, but, um, you know, the, these are markets that the, the, the reason that they have become so expensive is because they've been underbuilding for a long time. These are markets where it's really difficult to get new housing built. And, and that has continued to be the case. Yeah. Chris, I just want to follow up on that. Actually, the, the CEO of Bigger Pockets, Scott Trench, wrote an article for the Bigger Pockets blog that you can all check out for free, where he was 
theorizing, you know, he, the thesis he has is that multifamily is going to continue crashing through 2024. And he provided a, a good example using Austin, which we're all sort of beating up on here today. Uh, but he was saying that just so everyone understands, Austin is forecast to have a 10% increase in their deliveries of multifamily units. So they're in one year going to see a 10% increase in, in their stock. And to offset that, you would theoretically have to have a 10% increase in household demand, right? If unless, if you, otherwise something's going to break there. And I don't know, I've never seen a city grow 10% in terms of household demand in a certain year. So I think that's why, uh, for everyone listening, when we're talking about why this increase in supply could negatively impact rents, it's because uh, you know, we just household formation and demand can't keep up at least in this period of time right now. But Chris, I want to make sure that when we're talking about this increase in supply, we are talking about multifamily, right? And so do you think that that increase in supply of multifamily may spill into the residential or small multifamily space as well? Yeah, you know, I, I I think that this is a really important call out here. You know, we're talking about all of this new supply coming online, but a lot of this new supply, you know, it's not as if we're seeing uh, an even distribution of new supply representing kind of all types of inventory and levels of affordability, right? A lot of this new inventory is coming online in the form of larger multifamily complexes, that are tend to hit at higher price tiers, you know, that that in and of itself isn't isn't really atypical. It's kind of always the case that new construction tends to come in as class A higher priced units. And then over time, as those properties age and depreciate, you know, they, they, they become more affordable. Um, but to have this kind of glut of new inventory coming at once, I think what we're seeing is, you know, uh, to take a, a market like Austin again, you know, we're going to see a lot of this new inventory that's a lot of it is going to is going to look pretty pretty similar right in terms of you know type of inventory and price point that it's hitting at and again this is this is kind of the segment that we're tracking closely in our rent index i think that's the area that's going to see the most competition from the new supply and also probably the the most softness in in prices going forward i think when you're talking about different types of inventory uh, I, I do think that there is the potential that that there's going to be, um, you know, some different trends happening there. Certainly, there is, you know, some spillover happening. Having all this new competition from new supply in this one particular segment is going to affect different segments. But when you're talking about kind of more affordable, smaller property sizes, I think though those are properties that are probably going to see, you know, a little bit more. Um, resilience in 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 prices in, in demand going forward um than some of this kind of higher price tiered multifamily stuff and and you know single family rentals is, is another thing that we can talk about too that's been uh uh an area of the market that has been um really kind of picking up in recent years as well and so i think that you know that that's another example of an area where i i see you know some kind of differentiation in the market that you know not all inventory is built equal and so just because there's a ton of new inventory hitting the market you know that's not necessarily going to affect every slice of inventory equally yeah and we're seeing a lot of that um the new construction spillovers actually you know what i've found as a smaller operator is 
we're seeing a better spill off from that because, you know, we, you know, if you're bringing renovated product to the market right now, it's, it, you know, it's on average, we're about a dollar to two bucks a foot, a square, a rentable square foot cheaper than new construction. We're in the same location. We've updated the whole property. They're getting their new cabinets. They, they get their new cabinets, new flooring, the washer dryers and units. They get all the amenities that they want. And it's not new construction, but it's shiny and it's a nice place to live. And we're seeing the demand spike on our rental units pretty dramatically over the last six months because we are a good place to live. We're a great option and we're not the same price. And it would, we've seen it, it's kind of crazy in like in Seattle. And I, and I've talked to a lot of other operators too, like in the Phoenix market and even in SoCal and in, in their, their units are getting growth. Like we're getting about three to 4% growth in our rental pricing right now. And our vacancy rates are staying around 3%. And we're not seeing a lot of movement out of our building. If it's a fully stabilized building, people just don't want to pay for the move right now either. And that is one trend we're starting to see is people, they're kind of nesting because they don't want that expense. And if you're not really raising your rents really high, they're just kind of staying where they are. And, you know, I, I, I'm thinking that actually all these new construction units come into market, it, it's actually helping us as the small mom and pops because it's kind of naturally dragging up the price. It's kind of like the median home price in the U.S. right now. Rates are up. And we're still getting that median home price is still increasing throughout the year. It's because it's on the lower end of the affordability in a lot of different markets. And, and it's almost like a natural pull that's helping us up right now. Yeah, you know, I think to your point here, again, just just going back to, to kind of what we've been seeing with demand and, you know, broader kind of macro trends over the past couple of years, folks are definitely more budget conscious right now. And so if you're able to to offer them a unit that is... Uh, you know, still kind of a high quality unit, but is a little bit more affordable than that new construction. I, I, I think that's definitely, um, you know, that, that that's definitely really appealing to a lot of folks right now. And, you know, I, I would say also that, that some of this maybe comes down to type of inventory as well. You know, uh, I, I mentioned kind of single family rentals. A, a lot of folks uh, are kind of priced out of uh, the for sale market right now, but are maybe in a phase of life where they're looking for that type of living uh, rather than, you know, living in, in kind of a large multifamily complex. And so I think we're seeing, you know, some demand too, just for in terms of kind of property types, you know, folks, uh, a lot of this new construction that's coming online maybe just isn't aligning with, uh, you know, the, the, the type of inventory that they're actually looking for. And so other segments of the market where, you know, that aren't being as affected by this competition of new supply, I, I, I think are still seeing some strength. Yeah, it seems like their competitive edge right now is their their rent considerations because they're offering a lot to get their units filled. You know, they're offering two, three months worth of rent credit sometimes, to, especially in that higher end market. Yep. One question I had is, do you think that affects any of these statistics? Like, you know, if Austin's down 6% on rent right now, but they gave away three months worth of rent just to get it to that 6% mm -hmm. level, do you think that those, that data could be really skewed? By, or, or is that something that you guys look at as you're kind of digging through uh, the statistics of the markets? That's a great question. Speaking to our data, our, our estimates are, are not accounting for any of the concessions uh, of the type that you're talking about. And so we're just looking at, you know, kind of the the, the transacted monthly rent price. Uh, so if that lease incorporated one or two months of, of free rent, we wouldn't be capturing that at all. So if anything, 
we might be, you know, understating the softness if we are, if there, if there's in addition to kind of the, the price softness that we're seeing, in addition to that, there's been an increase in these sorts of concessions, which I, I think that there has been, you know, we, um, not something that, uh, we track at apartment list, but I have seen outside data sources that are showing concessions on the rise. Uh, and so, you know, it's not factored directly into our rent increases, but I do think that's something that's been increasing and, and actually, you know, would maybe uh, indicate that things are maybe even a little bit softer than, than we're showing, at least for, for that particular segment of the market. So we've heard a lot of great information from Chris already, and there's plenty more where that came from right after this quick break. We know you've heard it before. Cash flow is getting very hard to find. There's always long distance investing, but you may be thinking, I don't have a team, enough experience, or the market knowledge to get in. That's where you're wrong. And it's also where Rent to Retirement comes in. Rent to Retirement offers fully turnkey properties that are newly built or renovated, leased and managed, allowing you to invest out of state with confidence. They've got single family, multifamily, new build, and syndication opportunities across multiple markets. They even have burr deals with immediate equity. Rent to Retirement helps investors learn how to build a bulletproof business plan with the best investment and tax strategies around to help you reach financial freedom through real estate. There's no excuse not to get started in real estate investing when you have the right team and systems already in place. To learn more, visit renttoretirement.com. That's renttoretirement.com. Or text REI to 33777. Again, text REI to 33777. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that a long time ago, before I ever started my real estate business, I turned one of my first primary residences into an Airbnb? And that's the extra income that I needed from Airbnb that gave me the confidence to go out and work for myself and eventually quit my 9-to-5 job. And now I have dozens of Airbnbs all over the country. I've even partnered up with the old David Green on a recent property in Scottsdale to take our portfolio to the next level. And of course, we host it on Airbnb. But you don't need to be a full-time real estate investor to start on Airbnb. As a matter of fact, I was self-managing 10 properties while working my 9-to-5 job, so I know anybody can do it. Think about it this way. You're looking for extra income and going on a vacation. Wouldn't it be great to rent out your space and let your property pay for itself while you're gone? I did this one time. I pitched my wife and my roommate because we were house hacking on the idea of renting out our home, and it paid for all of our expenses on a trip to Mexico City. So go and give it a try. It might just change your life just like it did mine. And I really do mean that. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The dream of owning a vacation home can be daunting. From finding the best guests, to the maintenance, to organizing the cleaners after every guest day. With Vacasa, they make that dream into a reality. As a full-service vacation home management company with vacation homes in key destinations across the U.S., they know a thing about how to make owning a vacation home easy and profitable. On top of proactive property maintenance visits by professional local teams, a hospitality-driven booking platform, and around-the-clock support, Vacasa earns homeowners an average of 20% more revenue from their vacation homes. Vacasa is always thinking of ways to simplify the vacation homeowning experience by putting your home to work for you. If you're looking to make more from your vacation home, work with the reliable property manager, and finally have peace of mind, partner with Vacasa at vacasa.com slash biggerpockets. That's vacasa.com slash biggerpockets. Top real estate investors love to talk about how they save so much on taxes, but how are they able to build rental property empires while skirting Uncle Sam? 1031 exchanges. 1031 exchanges allow you to defer capital gains taxes while you sell an investment property, exchanging your old property for a bigger, better one and avoiding the tax man while you do it. 
And that's where First American Exchange Company comes in. They're the leaders in 1031 exchanges. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just starting, First American Exchange can help you with simple rental property exchanges, complex commercial real estate investments, reverse exchanges, and more. Don't let your taxes eat into your profits. Visit First American Exchange Company at firstexchange.com or call them at 800-556-2520. That's firstexchange.com or 800-556-2520. Keep your money in your pocket and propel your portfolio further at firstexchange.com. First American Exchange Company does not provide tax or legal advice. Consult your financial, real estate, tax, or legal advisor about your circumstances. First American Exchange Company. Safe, smart, secure. Welcome back to the show. Let's get back into it. Chris, while we have you here, I'd love to ask you something a little bit wonky uh, because that's what we do on this show. Absolutely. One of the main things that has been keeping the CPI, the Consumer Price Index, which for everyone listening is just the most common way of measuring inflation. One of the things that's been touted as keeping the CPI high is rent uh, and housing costs. And If you've listened to the show, we've dug into this a little bit before, but a lot of the way the government tracks rent lags by like six or even 12 months. So I'm curious because you have all this private data that is hopefully a bit faster than the government is collecting things. Like, Is this decline in rent that you're seeing starting to be reflected in some of the inflation data? Yeah. So this is something that we've been tracking closely for you know a while now. And, you know, I, I love kind of the this wonky question is a great thing to turn nerd out on a little bit. Um, <laughs> the short answer is yes. You know, I, I, I think I would say that to give a little bit of background here, you know, really the the difference between what we're seeing in our data and what we're you know, how this is kind of tracked in CPI and inflation measures really is just that it's kind of tracking different things, right? Well, we're looking at price changes across new leases. The CPI is tracking rent changes across all leases. And so because, you know, only a small share of households move in any given month, most kind of rent increases happen when you move for for new leases, you know, uh, for tenured tenants who are, who are renewing a lease, oftentimes they see much lower or even no rent increase. And so that difference between looking at new leases only versus looking at all households, that's basically the source of this lag that we're talking about here. And so it is the case, like you said, that um, the CPI's measure of rent inflation has been uh, much slower to kind of track this cool off that we've been talking about than our index, but it has started to happen. The rent component of CPI uh, actually peaked last year and has been gradually declining for uh, a little over six months now. Uh, It still remains elevated, though. So it's still uh, both things are true. You know, it's cooling off, but it's also still one of the factors that is keeping top line inflation elevated. It's still exerting upward pressure. The, The rent component of CPI is currently at about uh, plus 6% year over year, again, compared to our index, which is showing rents down slightly year over year. Uh, and so it's catching up, but it is going to take a while to to fully reflect that cool down. Uh, I think, you know, the, the, the one other thing that I would kind of add here is just that, you know, this is something that like the Fed is very well aware of this. You know, they, they keep an eye on 
of private sector data sources such as our own. And so this is, you know, one kind of unique component of how inflation is calculated, where uh, most parts of it, you know, we don't really have a clear indication of where it's going to be headed in six, 12 months. Uh the, the housing component is actually kind of unique in that sense where there is this really good private data such as the apartment list rent estimates and other, you know, private sector data sources that can tell us with with, with, with pretty good clarity where we think that uh, the the, C, the official CPI measures are going to, to be headed. And so we do think that, you know, this cool off is going to it's going to take a while longer, but it's it's definitely headed in the right direction. So, Chris, the big question is, where do you think? Personally, I mean, where do you think rents are going to go throughout 2024? Do you think we're going to still kind of see this this kind of gradual decline, or do you think we could start seeing things turn around? Or is it also market specific? Do you think certain markets are going to do better than others? I guess I'll, I'll start kind of high level. I think we talked a lot about supply. That part of the equation is pretty clear. We know that there's a ton of new supply coming online this year. I think the place where there's a little bit more of a question mark is what's happening on the demand side. You know, we've talked about what's been happening recently, how folks have been really behaving pretty cautiously in response to macro conditions. As I said, we are seeing a little bit of an improvement in consumer sentiment recently. And so I think that there is probably some pent up demand for household formation. And some of that may start to to play out over the course of this year, uh, assuming that, you know, that we continue to see uh, the inflation numbers improve and, and the rest of the economy remain relatively strong, which, you know, it, it does look like uh, the Fed is starting to kind of uh, head in for this, this soft landing and in that, you know, some of these recession fears are starting to abate. And uh, so as demand kind of rebounds, I, I think that that'll be kind of the, the the X factor seeing how good demand ends up coming in this year and whether it's enough to absorb all of this new supply. I think my best case assumption is that rent growth nationally is going to remain pretty soft this year, just because really, again, all of this new supply that we're, we're talking about, I think it's going to be pretty hard, even if demand does rebound, which I think it will rebound a bit. I think it's going to be pretty hard for demand to come in so strong that it's really going to you know outstrip all of this new supply. And again, to the second part of your question there, I think this does vary a lot market by market. Uh, some of these Sunbelt markets, again, not to, to keep picking on Austin, but, you know, <laughs> that's probably the, the the top example of a market that is probably a little bit oversupplied right now. You know, when we're talking about, uh, again, particularly in, in kind of this multifamily segment. And so, you know, that's a market that could see, you know, some some real continued price softness. Um a lot of the other Sunbelt markets, I think, are, are, are probably in similar situations to lesser extents. But again, I, I, I think this also kind of varies by segment of the market, too. I think that, you know, when we're talking about kind of the the, the prior, the higher price tiered uh, segment, that's probably where we're going to see the most softness. I think the lower tiers might be a, a little bit more resilient there. So overall, I think, you know, it is going to be uh, another relatively cool year in terms of rent growth. Uh, but I, I, I think, you know, that I would also say is is not going to be something that we're expecting to last long term. I think once we get into 2025 and 2026, things are going to look uh, a bit more normal, probably. All right, Chris. Well, thank you for making the prediction and for sharing your research with us. 
If you all want to check out Chris's most recent report, I highly recommend it. It is a really good read, tons of interesting information, super digestible. We will put a link to that in the description and show notes. So definitely make sure to check that out so you can learn about what's going on nationally, but also in your specific area. Chris, thanks again for joining us. We really appreciate having you on here and hope to have you on again sometime soon. Thanks so much. It was great chatting with you both. So, James, given what Chris just told us, how worried are you about rent growth? Does this impact your portfolio? You know, there's so much doom and gloom around this, and I think the data is a little off and a lot of the new construction renting. I don't I'm actually not as worried about it for what we're offering as the mom and pops investor or the smaller investor. We're still a lot more affordable than the new construction, like on average, 25, 30 percent cheaper per square foot. And it's been kind of helping us. So I don't I'm not as worried about it. And I've heard enough doom and gloom about the commercial market, the short term rental market. Everything's going to collapse. Multis on the topic right now. I think it's actually kind of helping us a little bit more than hurting us uh, in our current kind of economy. Just because there's less competition? Well, there's more units coming in, but we're so much cheaper and the affordable product in everything is being chased right now. Whether it's not just housing, it's people's cars, right. anything that people can get their cost down a little bit, they're opting for. And so for us mom and pops operators, we are cheaper than new construction options, which is actually in higher demand. Um and with all these units coming on, it just makes us look more affordable and then they get absorbed a lot faster. So I'm not entirely worried about it too much uh, unless we stepped all over our performance. If your performance were, were off today's rents with steady growth, mom and pops, I think you're going to hit your numbers. Yeah, I, I think the main thing here, at least the takeaway for me, is that people need to be underwriting with very modest or no rent growth over the next few years. I, I just think it's unwise, personally, correct me if you if you think differently, but I think it's unwise if you're buying a stabilized asset to assume that rent is going to go up. I mean, I know you do a lot of value add, so that's a, that's a more reliable, predictable way to grow rents. But I think if you're just buying something and expecting rents to grow up 5%, even 2%, you might not hit that in the next year. And personally, for me, like when I think about that for a residential asset, it doesn't really worry me that much because I think things will be fine. But it does, you know, to me, underscore the need for caution in multifamily just because multifamily values go up either from cap rates going down, which they're not, they're starting to go up or rents going up, which they're flat. So I think it's another reason to be really cautious in multifamily right now. Yeah. And, and I think you need to be cautious in all realms of real estate right now. Just go with steady historical growth. Again, we've gotten out of this fast lane of real estate that we've seen the last couple of years, and you just got to get used to being on the exit ramp. I slow it down, steady numbers. And I am happy to hear, I like every multifamily broker, when I would talk to them, it's like, oh, the, the property's just mismanaged, raise rents, and all of a sudden your return goes way up. The, the, yeah, the sales right. pitch of mismanaged rents, I, I'm glad I don't have to hear that anymore. But if you want to grow rents, buy some, add amenities, make it nicer, then your rents will grow. Uh, but, yep. you know, I think you just have to bank on steady growth for the next uh, you know, for quite a while. I think it's going back to normal for the next five years. Yep, totally agree. All right. Well, again, thank you to Chris for joining us. Again, you can check out his work in the description or show notes below. He is Mr. James Daynard. I'm Dave Meyer. And thank you all for listening to On The Market. We'll see you next time. 
On the Market was created by me, Dave Meyer, and Kalen Bennett. The show is produced by Kalen Bennett with editing by Exodus Media. Copywriting is by Calico Content, and we want to extend a big thank you to everyone at Bigger Pockets for making this show possible. The housing market is changing, and finding your way right now can be a bit tricky. There are rate shifts, there are confusing headlines, but at the end of the day, your goal hasn't changed. You probably still want financial freedom as much as ever. Well, the good thing is that experienced investors know it's not about trying to time the market. It's about the amount of time you have in the market. And if you're ready to get into real estate investing game, you can still do that. Or you can take your game to the next level by finding an investor-friendly agent. With BiggerPockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in just a few minutes. You head over to biggerpockets.com deals, enter in some details about what you want, where you want to buy, and boom, you instantly get matched with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. This free resource is only available at biggerpockets.com deals. Get an agent, get the deal, and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com deals. That's biggerpockets.com deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all hosts and participant opinions are their own. Investments in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. BiggerPockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.